Hi, and welcome back to The Great Game, an Australian mega game podcast. I am Patrick. And I'm Jack. And this is episode 14, in which we sat down with Trenton Greyoak to talk about his mega game design, Deep Haven. Uh, this was a game about um, role-playing, very story-focused, and um, set in a, in a world where there were different clans of dwarves building a new underground city. It was a lot of fun. We went into a lot of details um, about some of the unique mechanics, especially some of the very story-focused mechanics that were in the game, and uh, it was a really good conversation. Yeah, it was an it was an awesome chat. Um, yeah, but just before we get into that, just a couple of announcements. Um, first of all, we've got quite a few mega game creators who are announcing their calendars for 2021. Um, so if you are interested in checking those out and signing them up when they are available, we've got uh, True North Mega Games has announced uh, their roster of games, uh, which will include uh, Collegium, The Generalissimo is Dead, Delta Ball 2021. <laughs> Uh, fate of the world um yeah and uh, all, you can find info on all of those on the true north mega games facebook page and for the mega game makers in the uk there's uh, lace wars the bear growls the boys are back in town washington conference and the bastard comes which are all uh, all the info on those you can find on the mega game makers uh website at megagamemakers.uk uh, and finally, I'd just like to say that uh, kind of posthumously that this episode will be the end of uh, season one of this show. Um, this is basically the point where we're feeling pretty good about it and we'll be taking a brief break over uh, Christmas and that kind of thing and, and kicking it back off again sometime in the new year. And with all that said, no more delays. Let's get into the episode. And I'm here with uh, Trenton Greyoak, the designer of Deep Haven. How's it going, Trenton? Hey, I'm doing great. How, how are you two? Yeah, yeah, doing awesome, doing awesome. Right. Uh, uh, so tell, tell us about yourself. How did you get into, I guess, the mega game world? What was that like for you? Yeah, I, I think I consider myself in the uh, play a goddamn mega game crowd. You know, like it's, it's, it's <laughs> where like a new generation of, of mega gamers that watch the shut up and sit down video. And yeah, I, I'm definitely in that generation. Uh, you know, I saw that and and immediately lost my mind and uh, <laughs> thought like, how could I possibly play this? Which I, I was in Arizona at the time, so I wasn't able to play for a while. But um, yeah, I, I like my first my first one was was watch the skies uh, here in Minnesota. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it ever since then, it just it <laughs> I I was super into them, super into the design. Um, I have a, a, a game design background. Like I, I was in the game industry for a while. And uh, so, you know, I love I love games. I love interesting uh, new uh, types of games. Uh, and yeah, it's I, you know, mega games are such a, a you know, the, the UK crowd is always like, oh, that, it's been around. It's like, well, you know, for the rest of us, it's it's a very new, <laughs> new thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, there's similar kinds of things that I've heard of before. I heard of mega games like LARPs and things like that. But right. yeah, I think for a non-UK audience, it's pretty much um, brand new. <laughs> same for, we yeah. have the exact same story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it you know, we, we at some point we can get into the difference between mega games and LARP, but it's, 
it's a totally new experience too. even comparing it to some, to some LARPs. Definitely, yeah. definitely agree. Um, so, um, tell us what is Deep Haven? Deep Haven. So Deep Haven is, well, the, the short answer that, that a lot of people will know is it's, it's, it's really Dwarf Fortress, the mega game in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a more, uh, a better pitch would be, uh, it is a narrative focused mega game about uh, many different different dwarven uh, cultures and clans coming together to uh, basically build a, a new dwarven capital, you know, a capital to for for all dwarven kind, and uh, the the players themselves are are representing uh, different families and clans uh, from various cultures, like the more like Tolkien mountain dwarves to the more uh, almost Viking kind of inspired like salt dwarves. Uh, to the more cloistered, uh, potentially xenophobic uh, deep dwarves. Um, <laughs> and uh, so all these different cultures kind of coming together and uh, creating this city and really, you know, figuring out what that city is. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, each of them have their own their own goals and figuring out how to uh, see Deep Haven realized uh, in the way that they envision. Awesome. I didn't realize that it was Dwarf Fortress inspired until now. <laughs> I, yeah. I yeah. It. Yeah. It, it's inspired in the sense of like, uh, like Dwarf Fortress is a, I really consider it a story generator. Um, like yeah. that's how I've experienced it. Like, you know, I've tried to play it, but like most people, I bounce right off of it and, you know, but it's fun to read about. It's fun to, to hear people tell stories. And, you know, I love some of the like comics that people have kind of, you know illustrated telling about their their different cities and whatnot and like that that's what really inspired me um you know i I love i love fantasy i love dwarves um but i really my focus was i wanted to make a mega game that that really doubled down on the on the story generator uh side which every mega game does you know they that's the best part about mega games is you come away with a story but i wanted the mechanics to back that up too Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, it's exactly the same for me with Dwarf Fortress. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's an incredibly complicated roguelike video game, um, which I have never played, but the stories that come out of it are absolutely amazing. And that mm-hmm. becomes almost the main draw of the game. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. So talking about the inspiration and the story generator side of it, one of the things I was really interested in talking about is the indie RPG influence as yeah. well. It seems like games like apocalypse world and that kind of thing seem to be a pretty big influence on deep haven hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I love story games. Uh, yeah. Apocalypse world in, in particular is really, uh, in particular, uh, uh, dungeon world, um, which mm. is sort of a fantasy. It, it's sort of, I think they describe it as a D and a love letter to D and D, but using apocalypse world mechanics and conventions, uh, and it's very much on the uh, the story game side of, you know, that there's a lot of uh, player input, a lot of player autonomy, and everyone at the table is playing to find out what happens, uh, which is something that I think is really important in the in the types of mega games that that I like. Uh, and mm. so I wanted to bring a lot of those ideas to the mega game, which, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not going to say that I invented any of that or even that it didn't happen in other mega games but that was really my my focus with deep haven 
Yeah, awesome. Um, so just for people who might not know what a story game is or that kind of thing, can you talk a bit about what those games are and what specifically, I guess, the ideas you wanted to bring in? So I would say a story game, um, they tend to be rules light, although, uh, you know, that that's I don't actually always like that term. Like it's more they're just not they're not super crunchy in the sense that you're going to spend a whole lot of time like min maxing your character or really thinking like a whole lot about the mechanics like the the mechanics are there uh to really facilitate the experience they're they're there to uh you know you i forget who who describes it as almost like a dolphin going in and out of the water where sometimes you know a lot of the time you're in the fiction you're really like in this shared imagined space and and then you and then you have to dive down and do some mechanical thing and then you go back up uh into mm-hmm. the into the fiction and where you really want to be in the fiction primarily, but actual mechanics like dice rolls and, and things like that, um, they can they can do a lot of things for the story. They can they can guide you to places that you never would have gone on your own. Uh, and you'll you'll hear me say play to find out what happens a lot because <clears throat> that's core to to story games. It's like everyone at the table is playing to, to figure out what's going to happen. Like nobody knows what's going to happen. Um, and there there's you know, there's definitely a type of role-playing game that uh, that the the dungeon master knows exactly what's going to happen, or or they they have a a road that you're going down, and you know that can be fun. That a lot of people like that, but uh, I if I'm I'm usually the the game master at the table, and I want to find out what ha- I want it to be exciting for me. You know, I don't want to I don't want to tell a story. I want to create a story collaboratively. Uh, and I mean, mega games are are there's such a good engine for coming away with these really interesting stories and experiences. Um, I know, I know, you know, you guys like the, the pub, <laughs> the pub discussions at the end. Um, that's a very, you know, popular thing If you know, you finish a mega game and then you, you go talk to everybody and you tell stories and that's like such a core part of a mega game. Mm. I was really worried you were about to say that you don't have those in your mega games. <laughs> well, it's it, funny you say that. Uh, I, you know, I, I run a lot of, I, I do a lot of convention games, which is mm. a whole another monster. And, you know, you still have some, you know, we do a big debrief and people still hang around and, you know, you'll see people the next day and you'll talk about things. So we have some of that, but it definitely it's convention games are a whole you could do a whole podcast on the the difference with convention games that you know it's good and bad things um but i either way i think that's such a a core experience of a mega game is is that that debrief time Hmm. definitely definitely i think yeah convention games are something i'm really interested in exploring more of because we don't really have as much of a convention mega game scene in australia at all um Mm -hmm, it's really yeah us running each thing individually on our own kind of thing um right but yeah yeah um so um talking about the um indie rpg ideas what do you think would be the big things if you're looking at other mega games that other mega games could take from apocalypse world or the story games or things like that right um yeah that that's a good question there there's a there's so much actually <laughs> uh especially <laughs> you know that there, there's definitely a lot of uh mega game players and and designers that kind of come from more of the board game side um, you know, the, the, a lot more mechanical, a lot more systems design. 
um, which I think is, you know, I think it's great. Uh, I just, you know, the things that I'm interested in are, are bringing in that, that narrative element and having a lot of, uh, player autonomy. Cause honestly, like no matter what, you know, no, no matter how mechanical and crunchy a mega game is going to be, there's always going to be, you know, the, the people coming in with, with their own ideas and that, you know, the, what, what is the UK, the wizard wheezes, that's what they like to use, mm. uh, which I, I had no idea what that was, but it's basically, you know, it's the crazy idea. It's the, it's the, it's the player going to the moderator and being like, I want to miniaturize a nuke and I want to put it in the, in the diplomat's pocket and then blow up the space station. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the, it's the crazy idea that it's like the designer never envisioned that being a thing. Um, and it, my favorite mega games are the ones that can, can roll with the punches, you know, that, that can, can handle that. Um, and especially if the mechanics can handle that too, where the, the mechanics are, are flexible enough to incorporate those sorts of things without it just being, uh, you know, the, the moderator is just kind of having to, to come up with something, you know, that's fine that, you know, that's totally fine. I just, I want my moderators to, to have, you know, a mechanical backing there that they can fall back to when they, you know, they have no idea what should happen. Definitely. Um, I noticed one of the things I noticed from the materials I've been looking at that you were kind enough to send over is you had a lot of random tables and things like that to help people yeah. generate and yeah. make up stuff when something unexpected happens. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a lot of them and, and I mean, primarily the moderators have that, but you know, I, I told them like, you know, you can hand these off to a player. Like it's, they're not big secrets, you know, that everyone knows that a lot of these are coming from random tables um, and that's, you know, it's kind of from my video game background of just like the, the procedural generation, um, you know, it's a, it's a big part of, of role playing games too. like, you know, di- rolling, rolling on a table has been around since they started. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but being able to, like, incorporate that into a narrative game is just I don't know, it's so exciting, like, like having a, you know, an arcane metal that uh, is is liquid at room temperature, uh, but you know, when it's, when it's hot, it becomes, it becomes a solid or, oh God, like so many of the, the, I'll have to look up the, the tables, but so many of the different random combinations that you can get, uh, you could hand that off to a player. It's like, Hey, you just discovered this, this new material or this, this new, uh, this new route that, you know, makes you stronger, but really angry or something. Some, a player will take that and it's fun to see what they'll do with it. You know, will they, you know, will they get their put their engineering hat on and and create a a a whole aqueduct system or something, or will they take that that route and and create a uh, an ale with it uh, that they then sell at a tavern? You know, like those sorts of things. That it's hard to have those sorts of ideas come out of nothing. Mm. And I and I do think random tables, if you're focusing more on on emergent narrative, like they're a great a great way to you know, inject a bunch of uh, different ideas that you wouldn't think otherwise. Yeah, I completely agree. I, that's in- I've never thought about doing that in a mega game, but I do come from kind of the old school D&D world where um, kind of everything is random tables. Like you're like, okay, right. you're in the city. I don't know why that, I don't know. I haven't made up this city yet. Let's roll. Let's see what this city district is. Okay, it's the um, religious district. Let's roll to see what place is here. Let's roll to see what kind of people are around. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's awesome idea for putting that in a mega game. Yeah, and it, it actually worked out really well too. I, I think they were a big hit. Um, I think they were they were a great tool for you know when a moderator is like, oh god, I don't I don't know what that 
you know, that other civilization is across the river. Oh, there's a random table for that. Let's let's find out together. Awesome. Um, uh, so one of the, uh, we'll get on to talking about the game in practice, but um, talking about everyone um, kind of collaborating to make up the world together. One of the questions I wanted to ask is how you manage to keep everything consistent with so many players and so many moderators all collaborating and making stuff up individually. How do you make sure that you don't have situations where you know, say this moderator has decided that the forest is on fire, but the other moderators haven't figured that out yet. And things are going, you know, like where things are kind of going all over the place and feeling a bit woolly and undefined. Or is yeah, that, I mean, that part of the game? That's a, that's a great question. Cause that was uh, very early on in the design that that was something that I'm like, yes, okay. This is the, this is the biggest problem. You know, this is, this is the biggest issue with uh, trying to scale up uh, a story game. Mm. is you know in a story game when you're just sitting around and when i say story game it's really just a you know it's a fancy word for for a role-playing game that is narrative focused um maybe i should say rpg or something but so when you're sitting around a table you have this shared imagined space that you're you know hopefully creating together and ideally the game is is helping you keep everyone on the same page you know you have things like a character sheet that says who you are and you have, uh, you know, the, the if you have a game master, like they have a lot of notes that are saying, you know, when, when something comes up, they can say, oh, yes, this is the character you met before. And so there's all these things that are that are keeping things consistent so that everyone can be in the same world in their heads. So how do you bring that to a 70 person mega game with 10 moderators? How do you, how do, you do that? So uh, there's still a lot to to discover there, I think. Um, I did it in a few ways. Uh, the, the biggest, uh, the biggest, well, one of the biggest set pieces in Deep Haven is the map. And, uh, ever, so each player is in a, a different guild and one of the, uh, very important guilds is the cartographer's guild. And their responsibility is to maintain a map of Deep Haven. And this is a, so there's a, a giant whiteboard and they basically draw Deep Haven sort of ant farm style. Uh, you know, it's it's a slice of of a mountain, and they really just they start off with, uh, you know, with a mountain, and there's like a lake and a river or something, and and then uh, right off the bat, I'll you know I I tell them or the moderator tells them um, some different constraints, and then they start drawing, and then there's a bunch of mechanics to support that. Uh, as as they delve deeper into the mountain, they discover new caves and chambers and different uh, fixtures within the mountain. And as, as the players build structures and things happen, this map, the, the cartographer guild is, is updating this map. Um, and it, it really, it's hard to describe. Like I, we can definitely post pictures. I don't know if you guys have show notes, but we can, we can post some pictures or you can just Google it or something. And, and it gives you a much better idea of, of what, I'm, I'm talking about, but the, the map itself, like it kept everyone, like you could look at the map and be like, Oh, this is that location. Or if the, you know, the, the mountain turns out to be a volcano and it, it erupts, um, and it fills a bunch of the, the chambers with lava, like the map changes to reflect that. Um, which is an excellent set dressing. Like I fully recommend other mega, mega game designers to rip that off, play a game called the quiet year. Uh, which is an excellent little um, story game that that has the map as as the core element. 
Uh, that was absolutely the inspiration. Um, so the second thing is the asset cards and uh, the asset cards is just sort of a generic term for uh, a, kind of a little little note card with, you know, it's, it's a printed note card with some different elements on it. And each one of those represents a different uh, character in Deep Haven or, you know, magical weapon or a building or, uh, you know, a- anything like that, an army. And these assets have different kind of uh, facets to them, different different aspects to their nature, different descriptions. And... The great thing about having a physical card is you can hand it off to someone and that helps you. It helps ground all of the players and the moderators into the world. So now it's not, you know, that that forest fire, that forest fire would get written down, uh, not so much with an asset, but there's trouble cards, too. And that those are, you know, Mm. we can we can get into that a little bit. But also you write, you know, when there's a trouble like that, someone is writing that on a card on a red card. And now you can hand that off to someone. And if they go to another table or they go wherever, they have that. And that because it's on that card, it's it's the reality. The third thing, and then we'll, you know, we can we can move on. But the, the third thing is, you know, they're dwarves, it's fantasy world, but hey, there's still news. And that's where the ink beards come in, which the chroniclers, which is this guild that uh, is in charge of, you know, learning what's happening and spreading the news. And we we used a uh, I I don't actually know if it's if it's spread, but we we do a projector with um, with actually a news system where there's uh, laptops or or, uh, God, I forget what what like fictional wrapper I had. It was like a magic tablet or something um, (laughs) where where these ink beards, you know, they can they can type in a headline. Basically, they're basically writing headlines and they pop up on the on the screen and everyone can seize it. uh, Everyone sees it. I don't know how common that is in mega games. Like we use it all the time with Minnesota mega games and it's pretty popular at Gen Con. Um, But I highly recommend a system like that because it makes for some amazing moments where, you know, you're in mid conversation with somebody and a news story pops up and, you know, it plays a little stinger sound and it's like, everyone looks and it's like, Oh, you know, it's this big like community moments of, of shared experience. So uh, they're there. It's excellent. Yeah. So and there's other little things, but those are the those are the main um, mechanics that kind of help everybody stay grounded and stay within that same shared uh, imagined space. Awesome. Yeah, that's something that um, that's really cool. That's something that we struggled with, I think, in our own um, game that was a bit more story focused, Dark and Stormy Night. Um, We found that uh, we needed to spend way more time than we thought collaborating between moderators and making sure that we all kept our stories straight basically yeah Um, yeah i think that's a really awesome way to do it yeah it's it's a hard problem and and you know i I think deep haven did it pretty well but it's you know depending on the on the the setting and how you know it would it would be a lot harder if it was a more grounded like historical setting or something where you kind of expect things to be you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, realistic or a little bit more like they make sense a little bit. <laughs> not to not to say that Deep Haven didn't make sense, but, it, you know, it's a fantasy world. And, you know, I tried not to do like kitchen sink fantasy where anything goes. But ultimately, when you have that many players and moderators, you know, inputting stuff like sometimes you get some pretty crazy stuff. And, you know, that's that's part of the fun. It's OK. <laughs> yeah, it's um steering away from really hardcore 
realistic historic settings is one of my trademarks as well because I'm always intimidated about what the players are going to want or expect or know that I don't. Exactly. Um, I just wanted to, without going back too far, just before we move on to um, actually running the game, I had a question about the the random tables. And you said how they became quite well known maybe during or or post like after the game i was just wondering what feedback you got from the players about those were there any were there any players sort of grumpy about the fact that there was just randomly generated lore uh you know i i can't think of any any you know negative feedback specifically about that um Mm. it's kind of like so so deep haven it's there's so many ideas in it that sometimes to a fault um that if you don't like something there you know because it's it's more on the you know player autonomy side like you just you can ignore it right like you can mm. if if you don't want to go delving and and discover you know new new objects and new new materials and things like that then you just don't you know you go do something else right uh, and you, you know you probably wouldn't have signed up for the the delving guild at that point um yeah, so it's kind of like I, I don't remember getting anything. I'm sure there's you know there's a lot of people. I'm sure there's somebody that didn't like it, but I think it was primarily a, just a fun thing. Yeah, awesome. Um, so let's let's talk about the game in practice. Um, so how often have has Deep Haven been run and where? Yeah, so it's been run twice. Uh, the first was at Gen Con uh, last year, and then the second was at Shucks uh, last year. <laughs> uh, yep. I wanted to run it here in Minnesota this year because it's funny that I haven't actually run it in my my home state, um, but you know, stuff stuff's happening in the world, so that's yep. not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but maybe you know, twenty twenty two or something. Uh, yeah. So so Gen Con last year was the first run. Awesome. And so leading up to that first run, I guess, what were you most unsure about, um, or not sure, like not sure if it would work uh, leading up to the game? Uh. Yeah, probably a a good like eighty percent of it, um, <laughs> maybe eighty five. Um, yeah, it like it really it was you know is this gonna work scaled up, right? Like a lot of my ideas, I don't I don't take you know a hundred percent credit for. Like, uh, you know, I, I've been engrossed in 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 RPGs and story games and stuff. Like, I I, I forget sometimes where even some of my ideas have <laughs> have come from. Sure. Um, but kind of combining them into into this large player experience, you can't play test that. You know, you, like you can play test little things and and try to, you know, I I, I kind of re- didn't let myself uh, design a mega game until I had played in several and and uh, you know helped run several because uh, I I really like you learn so much by by being on both sides. You know, being a player or or a moderator. And, um, even though I was really excited to design something, like I, I really wanted to get that experience, which, you know, not everybody has that, you know, the, the privilege to be able to, to do that. Um, luckily I, you know, I've been able to go to Gen Con and, and do that. Uh, so God, what was the question? I was just asking uh, what you were most worried about leading up oh, or yeah, what you yeah. weren't unsure about basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, just everything like it, it, it all, everything coming together and, and, and scaling that up. Um, God, I, I just, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be just a total flop 
or what. Mm. Um, I, I do think I, I have enough arrogance. <laughs> I acknowledge <laughs> I have enough enough hubris that I probably wasn't as worried as I should have been. Uh, but but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how, how far away, um, like how much of a leap was this game from the others that you'd helped run or maybe helped design yeah. as far as this becoming quite a heavy story-driven game? Was this very different for you? Yeah, um, I'd say the closest thing that I had played beforehand with, uh, is a game called Sickle um, that uh, Peter Nixon, uh, you know, got he mm. he got the like actually the license. I mean, he's not making money on it or anything, but you know, he got the license of Scythe, the the Scythe universe, which is mm-hmm. you know just a fantastic uh, what is it nineteen twenties plus universe, um, and uh, so he was uh, super inspired by. Uh, a game called NSDM national Mm. security decision making, I think it's called, which Mm. is this group um, that's actually it's in the U S they've been running this for years and years and years. Um, I don't think they, they really uh, embraced the term mega game until fairly recently. Um, And I don't even actually, maybe they haven't, maybe I'm, Maybe it's a faux pas to say that they're a mega game. We we actually uh, had a chat with them um, just in a previous episode during the con. Oh, um, awesome! So I think yeah. they're they're a lot more embroiled in the in the community, like in the mega game world um, now. I think. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Peter Peter knows those guys well, and they're you know they I I'm super intimidated by them because they <laughs> all of their games are just very historical or very like set in reality and i just like oh god i know some of this stuff but i don't know but um they're actually really uh, like even if you're not into that kind of stuff like they're they're great games to experience because they are freeform in a lot of ways like even though they're set in these you know in reality um they hand you a badge you know this this card that you wear you really you just tape it on and on the front it's who you are and on the back it has some you know either some goals or some secrets or or more information about who you are and then they just throw you in a room you know it's it's <laughs> it, it's it's a great experience like to just yeah it, and it, it is a mega game it's totally a mega game it's like it feels like a mega game in a lot of different ways uh yeah so i don't remember where i was going with that but but that you know, that was definitely an inspiration. I forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just um, like just about how I think you've answered it, how, how you how this was a massive leap away from the more board gamey games. Yeah. That run in the past. And that makes a lot of sense that the NSTM guys are an inspiration for this because it sounds similar. We when, when we had that conversation, Jack had actually just played in one of their their events online, um, which mm-hmm. was probably a bit different to what you've experienced. Oh yeah, probably. Yeah, just I think so. Hearing about it, it sounds like um, they probably wouldn't call it that, but it does sound like <laughs> a, a story-driven kind of right. role-play game. Very yep. mechanics light, very story-heavy, very character choice-heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's just about a bunch of people talking in a room, really. <laughs> like you know, it's yeah, um, totally role-play. Yeah. Um, so, so and and honestly, like uh, like I. You know, I we have the Deep Haven. You have badges. You have some of that same that same mechanic of you know you, you are who you are on the front of the card that you're wearing, and you know you have some information and, and backstory and, and secrets on the back. Uh, you have a drinking buddy, which is another player in the game, um, and uh, you, you know you, you wear this badge, and it really identifies you uh, to who you are and what team you are. And that you know that's straight out of uh, other mega games have done that for sure, but that was definitely 
inspired by um, Bicycle and by by NSDM. Uh, although I will say, you know, uh, I don't think I don't know if they're going to listen to this. They listen to some historical podcasts. Um, there's a lot that I don't like about it. Oh, um, NSDM, interesting. Yes, especially on the moderation side. Um, I still recommend it. It's still a great experience. Um, but I think the, the mechanics themselves, the, the tools that the moderators have, um, are kind of non-existent. It's just sort of all, you know, whatever the, the moderator feels. And, um, I, I think that it's deep haven in a lot of ways was sort of a reaction to that of like, you know, I've played these story games that do some similar things like this. Like you can have mechanics that can that can facilitate these experiences and make it not only easier for everybody, but just more enjoyable and more, you know, you can, you can play to find out what happens. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So you think you felt like you wanted, even though obviously it is very story focused and role-playing focused, you wanted more mechanics to actually support that role-playing in a way. Yeah. I, I wanted, I wanted weight, you know, mechanical weight to some of these decisions. Mm. Um, I didn't want to just, you know, so, so they do a, I don't even know if they name their system, but I call it the consensus system, uh, which is another thing that you should totally rip off for a main game is basically you, you write what you want on a card, like a sort of like a, a, a proposition or a, uh, you know, a law or whatever. And then you, you have to go and and get, um, signatures from other players. Um, mm. and mechanically that's, you know, that's really a brilliant thing because consensus is hard. And if hmm. your idea is like too far out there or, you know, enough people, you know, let's nuke China, hmm. you know, like people are going to have problems with that. And unless you can get consensus, unless you can build that consensus, like it's not going to happen. Um, it's, you know, it's an excellent uh, mechanic for that sort of thing. However, so much of, of that style of game, and I, I don't want to fire too many shots at them. I, I'm again, I'm intimidated <laughs> by them. They're, they're super smart. Um, but I want more mechanical weight. I, I want, I, like, I could go into specifics, but it's, it's really, it comes down to, I, I want the moderators to not know what's going to happen. And I, I want the moderators to, to have, um, mechanics that they can fall back on mm-hmm. and push some of that, uh, you know, Deep Haven has dice rolls and that's, in a lot of the mega games, like that is kind of a dirty word is, is a dice roll. It's like, why should I roll dice when, you know, that, that it it's that kind of output randomness of, uh, you know, the, what I'm doing, like, I want to do it with, with mechanics. I don't want to like, leave it up to chance. Mm-hmm. My response to that, and not to get too far off topic, but my response to that is I agree, but the thing that dice gets you, uh, or other mechanics like it, is it, brings in the unexpected it brings in the uncertainty and it allows a moderator or a gm to get off the hook you know if you mm. if you roll badly it gets them off the hook it's like it's the moderator it's not the moderator's fault you know it's your fault like like one of the things that is fairly popular in story games like apocalypse world and stuff is like the gm actually doesn't roll dice <laughs> like i refuse yeah. to touch dice dice are an evil thing i don't want to touch them that's for the players uh, and you know, it, because it, it gets you off the hook in a way that you can be a little bit more objective and you can be in the story. You can be representing the story or excuse me, the, the fiction, uh, in a way that, that feels more, uh, kind of more concrete, I guess. 
mm. because you're sort of you're sort of impartial in that like you're sort of like objective i guess um but yeah i, we, I mean yeah I, I could talk it for hours on that so <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah but it makes it makes sense you want to you know it, with the play to want uh, play to find out what happens um philosophy you want to be surprised by what's happening right and so if you roll the dice you're like oh they succeeded this thing and they did this thing that i didn't expect then that's pushing you to do things and pushing you to places that you didn't expect to go, which is fun. Right, exactly. And and one last thing I'll say on that is it's actually on the player side too. Like the players should be, you know, they should be there to find out what happens. And you know what? It's okay. Like some of the best stories have immense failure or setbacks, right? Like you can't have a good movie or a good book or something without these big moments of, you know, these big setbacks are just pure failure or like, it's such a part of drama and the players need to be okay with that. And, and that's something that is in the briefing of just, you know, for, for people that may not have played these types of games, like, you know, it's really important to kind of take a step back and just really enjoy the ride, enjoy the, uh, the, the story that's happening. Um, because the, it's the moments of, of, of that, of drama, of hardship that really is going to, make the story worth telling mm, definitely well we've got we've gone completely off script but that's yeah. fine i would ask <laughs> talking about um uh uh so what you just said it seems like about failure being a really super important and good thing to happen it seems like failing forward is a big part of that as well right um, absolutely yeah that's yeah. a very story game it's, that's a very story game term is, is you know failing forward uh sorry what was your question well so in deep haven i know the way that it works is that you'll roll to see if you can succeed and do the thing but mm-hmm. even if you fail the roll usually you will end up actually doing the thing but with a complication is that right yep and and that actually is that's yeah also a very excellent question i think you i think you know mega games pretty well or you know games pretty well you keep oh wow thank questions. you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that was actually something that um, I changed uh, pretty early on, like after some playtests, because that is actually a difference, right? Like all these different, you know, role playing games and story games, like you actually can fail a role. You you can you cannot do the thing, you know. You can, you, and that's a valid thing that can happen. Um, the difference, I think, in mega games is because there's so many people involved, because moderators you know, they, they're there to facilitate. They can't, they can't ensure everyone is having a super great experience at all times. You know, that's not, you know, that there's just, there's not enough of them for that. It's not a small group at a table. Mm. Um, it actually, it, it, it feels bad to, to just, you know, get all these, collect all these assets and, and, you know, work with your teammates and then do the thing try to do the thing. And then it just doesn't happen, which, which story, you know, fail forward is it basically means that the story progresses. It's not just, oh, I failed to lockpick the door. Mm. OK, it's, oh, I failed to lockpick the door. And the reason I failed is be- is not because I'm not skilled. Like, I'm a I'm a master lockpick. I, of course, I can do this. It's because an ogre just smashed the door down and now I'm under the, the broken door. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's that style of thing of that. That's that's failing forward. It's it's bad things happen um that in a mega game well for one there's just not enough time to really uh follow up on that kind of stuff you know if if 
if that's happening fairly often. So I, what I really doubled down on is the idea of a, of a, a partial success, you could call it, um, which is in most, you know, story role-playing games, it's, it, you know, it's the, it's the middle result of, of the dice roll or something. It's, it's some good, some bad. You, you either do it, but there's complications or you don't do it and, and, but there's opportunities revealed. And so I kind of doubled down on that to where, uh, a, the dice, like the, there's a pretty significant chance that you're going to get one of these. Um, God, I don't remember what I called it in the game, but it's basically, yeah, this this idea that you can do it, but one of your assets is going to be used up, right? Like you're going to, so, so you have these cards, and if, if one of the cards represents, you know, a, a, a cache of, of mithril, uh, you know, a, a, a magical metal kind of thing, um, well, that's going to be used up. Or in, in the second run of Deep Haven, I actually gave uh, i had like god uh probably like 50 hole punchers and actually you could you could hole punch the the asset and if if an asset got us you know it was going to get a second uh hole punch it would it would be it would be torn up basically like it's used up at Mm. that point cool um and i you know and, and i think it was important to you know dwarves that that fiction uh is very much about what they do in the face of hardship you know there it's it's the very like stereotypical like stubborn dwarf like uh hell yeah i'm going to build this mine down under some lava and then <laughs> use the lava in my forge to to make these weapons you know like it's it's that sort of grand uh <laughs> that grand vision that they have that they do these sort of imp- almost impossible things and they don't they don't stop when they fail right like they don't they don't stop when you know, when they hit the first obstacle, they they push through and, and oftentimes that takes a toll. Mm. And I felt like that was really core to the experience, um, which I think it, I think it can totally translate into other fictions. But that was such an important thing in in, in that fiction. Yeah, awesome. Um, did you find so with the feedback on that one, how did people receive that? Was it were they super were they did they really love it? Um, or conversely, were there people who thought did did anyone feel like it maybe made things a bit too easy that they would almost always succeed things or did it not turn out that way in practice? I, so here's the other thing about making games that I've, I've had to learn, especially after, after the first run of, of Deep Haven is when you have that many players, there's so many different personalities and so many different things that people like. And one tip that I give to anyone that, is going to design their own mega game or even run a mega game is don't think, don't take things personally, (laughs) you know, just just sheer, just sheer numbers. Some people are going to bounce off of what you're, you, you love about mega games, right? Like some people just aren't going to dig it. You know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to like that mechanic or yeah, they're going to feel that way, which I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get off the hook of your, of your question there. Like, I think it's an important thing to think about. Um, the the goal i guess with deep haven was to have enough buy-in from players on what's happening in the fiction you know what what their their story is is telling what what's happening with their clan and uh you know their guild and things that um these sort of sorts of setbacks are are meaningful you know they're they're cuz they're bringing these these ass you know they're bringing the the uh the the mithril spear that you know that their their cousin forged and it's you know this very valuable item and 
and now they're you know they're fighting a a, a giant and it, it breaks off and now they just have the the head of this of the spear or something right like those sorts of moments of like the the best thing that can happen for the story are these types of sacrifices and i think i think a lot of players at first didn't quite get that a lot of players like got it right away um a lot of players didn't quite get it until i think it was uh mr mega game himself actually that that came up to me where he at first he thought i think he said that at first he thought he you know he really wasn't gonna like the game um but then he got really into it and he sort of like it sort of clicked for him um and he oh my god some of the the plots that he had you know (laughs) if you've watched any of his stuff you know that you know how uh devious he can be um Mm. and uh yeah so so it's like there's enough room for that and and when people like get it it's it's a magical thing now there are definitely people that may not get that or they do get it and they just they know they don't like it or or they they don't like it and they don't know why right um at a convention it's even actually harder because you have you know everyone's tired everyone has other things competing for their time and you know if you run a convention game like you got to expect a certain level of people just leaving um, and that happens to you know every convention game I've ever been a part of. Like, there's a there's a certain portion of people that will leave because you know if they don't like it, you know yeah they paid some money but they can still go and do you know they can hang out with their friends doing something else or they can go you know there's all these things competing with their time that you don't really you don't have in a in a you know a typical mega game. Um, and I took that really personally <laughs> the right. first time the the first run at. at at Gen Con is like, God, in the middle of that, I just, you know, I, I was thinking about walking out, you know, I was like, I was just taking everything so personally of like, Oh God, you know, like every, every, I want everyone to be having this amazing experience and anyone that's not, you know, even if a vast majority of the players are, are having fun, you know, for the ones that don't like, I just was taking it, uh, taking it to heart. And I, and I encourage anyone and, and it's not just convention games like this can happen with other ones. Um, you know, it don't take things personally, like try your best to facilitate a good experience and a good time. Um, but if people aren't liking it, you know, you can make changes or you can just, you know, say like, you know, I, you know, this is kind of what we're, we're doing. And it's like any other game, right? It's any other people are going to bounce off of everything. Um, mm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. Definitely. <laughs> Um, I wanted to just steer into a little about how the how the game actually ran. You said that you've run it a couple of times, and it's always in the convention. There are there were two specific things that I wanted to um, get a little bit more detail on, and one was what we mentioned earlier, the map. Yeah. Um, and you were saying that there's you know there's some other details to talk about on that, but also the the use of the the um, inverted commas uh, Jenga tower. Yeah. Because um, we were talking about. Earlier, you were talking about using dice in games and that the random element of success and failure or things not going to plan. Um, how did how did you come about having this big tower that you pulled from? And what how did, how did yeah the the form? giant Jenga tower uh, yeah. that uh, that was you know wholeheartedly stolen from a game called Dread, um, <laughs> of which yeah if if you're not familiar with Dread, Dread is a um, it's like a one-off uh, story game where the only mechanic is a Jenga tower, you know, uh, stacking blocks. And the idea is in the story, if you want to do something, you pull a block. 
if the tower falls, you die. <laughs> That's the game. Um, so it lends itself well. It's called Dread for a reason. It lends itself well to the types of you know horror stories or a suspense, thriller, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it it's so great at that. Like I I I love I love Dread. Like you know it 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 had it's such an elegant <laughs> system. Um, and it, you know, I, I try to, I try to actually, I, it's tradition for me to try to run a, a Halloween game. I gotta, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that this year, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so great. And it, it's important. I, and I know that, I know that some mega games actually have used Jenga towers. Like I was definitely not the first by far. Um, I do think, I, you know, I won't name names, but I, I do, I have seen other mega games use it badly in my opinion. Um, and you know, I, it might be out of scope of this of this podcast, but I will say that there's a right way and a wrong way to use something like a Jenga tower. Um, <laughs> and in brief, expect it to fall. It's going to fall. Don't try to control it. It's you can't control a Jenga tower. Have you ever tried to con- you it, like as a moderator? You can't decide when it falls. That defeats the whole purpose of it. That takes away the suspense. It also is just a really dumb thing to do because you know if you if you set this up to where okay, I know I'm expecting this tower to fall kind of in the last half of the game. And that's, you know, so I'm going to put this like really big event that, you know, the, the, the city is going to collapse or, or, you know, this big thing is going to happen. Okay, cool. What happens when somebody accidentally knocks it over 20 seconds into the game you know, or, or even, <laughs> yeah. or even an hour or two into the game. Right. And that's, and that's exactly like tying it to anything else. Like, okay, when someone finally rolls snake eyes on the dice, then something yep. major will happen. You know, yep. it's anything that's got chance attached to it. And especially in this case, when you've got dozens of people pulling from it. Yeah. The tower. Yeah. Um, so and what it, was it, the, what, 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 what did the tower do to the game? <laughs> yeah. And, and I want to say like, it goes the other way too. Like Jenga is especially giant Jenga. Giant Jenga is its own thing. It's, it's giant blocks, you know, like, Mm. You get you get scared by the end because it's this giant <laughs> tower in front of you that's going to fall over and it won't fall over. You know, it's like it's it it sticks around and you you don't know when it's going to fall. I can it you know, I there's so many of the of the polls that were just like, how is this tower standing? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any physical sense. Um, so in in the game, uh, the tower represented delving deep within the mountain, which is the most dwarven trope of them all. Uh, you know, it's it's the the mines of Moria. It's the they you know they they delved too deeply and they awoke a, a ancient evil Balrog. And I wish I could do the Gandalf voice. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and you know, so it it's it was there. That was such an important part of the fiction that I wanted some big set piece to really handle that. To where when they do delve too deeply, and you know they're gonna do it, they're gonna do it probably a couple times. <laughs> uh they're dwarves that's what they do that's half the fun uh when they when they do it and the tower falls everybody knows about it everybody no matter where you are playing the game like everyone even people not playing the game if you're at a convention you know there's going to be the tower the actual physical tower falling which is loud it's going to be everyone around it you know yelling out and losing their minds and it you know it's always just a just a such a great moment uh and the last thing I'll say on that is like both games had a sort of finality, um, which, you know, I, I could talk at length that whether mega games actually should have a finality, you know, there's different, uh, ways of handling that. 
Um, but both times it, it felt like it, you know, the, the, the Jenga tower, which could re- represent that finale, um, you know, so it, it always like represented like the future of, of Deep Haven, like whether it was going to, you know, succumb to the, the first run, it was like succumb to a God, what was, it was a, uh, undead horde or something. Um, and you know, so, so the idea that, that you're pulling for, for, uh, Deep Haven's future. So in a way, like the fiction actually changed or the, the idea of that, that, that metaphor for what, what it's representing actually changes. And that's fine. That that's actually useful for, you know, the lead moderator to be like, you know what, this is now the, the future of Deep Haven. And because it's, you know, because it's such a good set piece, like, Oh, there's just so many good moments, uh, with with jenga i i do i do really love that mechanic it's gonna be hard to not do that in the next game but (laughs) yeah if anybody's making a game with jenga like hit me up i i have god i've done so much like i've counted things and done average like i i know so much about jenga towers and and how to use them so hit me up for sure i i can give you some tips awesome yeah it's something i've always wanted to use and um the game that um, one of the games that I often reference, I think it's because it's my favorite that I did design on here was As the Fire Dies, and I'm seeing a lot of similarities between what you've been talking about. And it's funny because that was the one game where I was so certain early on that I was going to use the Jenga Tower, but it never, never eventuated yeah. for different reasons. But um, there are other similarities there with it, like a map that the players had agency over to control and update as the game went on. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, is, I, I would love to to see more about that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that, that's something else I just wanted to ask about. You, we talked briefly about the map earlier on, um, but I had a few specifics. Like, um, So this was a map that was de- developing over the game. The players were adding to it. How? What, what mechanisms, like what influenced that map? What made it change? And um, Or was it sort of, how freeform was it? Or were there mechanics that were changing that map? Right, yeah. So there, there were definitely mechanics. Um, it, it was kind of a combination of both. So one of the things that uh, actually the the delving guild the delving guild the one that is actually doing the the tower the Jenga tower they they're making discoveries you know every every pull of the tower they make a, a new discovery and they um, I had these you know cool cards that my wife made God my props to Deanna my wife she did she's an artist and she made so much amazing stuff like the 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 player handbook and so many of the materials are just so amazing. So props to her. I, I married up for, for sure. in that, <laughs> um, <laughs> I recommend that if you can find an amazing artist, like marry them and make them do your, your mega game. Uh, material. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so they're making these discoveries. And one of the things that they, they can discover uh, are these like new chambers and, and things um, that get added to the map. And uh, you know, they, they bring that over to the cartographer guild and, um, hopefully there's, you know, a moderator there to, to, you know, help facilitate that. But, you know, it's fine if, if not, actually I, as a lead moderator, I was actually doing that a lot. Um, just cause I was kind of floating around and, uh, they would have different, you know, that there was, uh, I, I had kind of a list of like kind of semi random generated stuff that I was kind of pulling from. And so it's like, because it, each chamber would kind of have their own, its own feature, you know, it, it would be mineral rich or it would have a, oh man, I should find the list. It's like a slumbering uh, elder giant or something or, 
you know, all of the, you know, the fantasy tropes of where you'd like expect to be like discovering these sort of ancient things and uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad, oftentimes bad. And uh, so that would get added to the, to the map. So that that was one of the responsibilities of the cartographer, cartographer guild is to add these things to the map. Um, and then each, depending on the size of that, uh, there would be so many plots that the plots would go to the uh, now I'm blanking on the guilds. Too many guilds. Too many guilds in this game. Uh, it's like the housing guild or something like this, but but a cooler name, I'm sure. Um, and they, the builders, builders union or builder. I don't know. I'll look it up. Uh, so they, they're in charge of the plots and they can, you know, they can hold an auction or they have different ways to basically distribute those to, uh, to other players, to, to the different clans. Um, Cause there's all these like fictional benefits to, owning, you know, owning the land and, and, you know, building buildings, building a tavern, building a, a blacksmith, um, building a school. Like in the first run, we had we had this big university that ended up becoming like super important to the game and um, just so many like just cool ideas that I would never think of on my own. And it, it was it's definitely like I love artifacts that come out of games. Like I love mm. looking at old character sheets or, you know, if it's a map game, the maps or just anything like that, um, which some mega games have, some don't. And I just I just love them. I love I love going through that later and just, you know, some of the things that I had no idea that happened or it's like I have no idea what 90 percent of is on this map. Like I don't like all of these things have significant stories behind them. And I just don't know them because there's so many players. And, and I just really love that. Like I I encourage uh, another encouragement encouraging thing for for new making game designers is find things that stick around you know find these these things that people can look back on in the pictures and and really like it can represent these really cool moments yeah absolutely awesome um so i'm, I'm gonna have to steer it towards a wrap-up sadly soon but i wanted yeah, to yeah. ask but before we do we've talked a lot about the uh, what went into it and the ideas and what you were worried about in it when it actually went off in practice, what were you most, uh, what went really well and what perhaps didn't go as well as you hoped it would? Yeah. Um, I would say the biggest failure, I touched on this a little bit earlier. The biggest failure was my mindset. <laughs> mm. Wow. My, okay. my mental health of the first game. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't think most of the players really realize this. Like I, I think I did a, good a pretty good job of shoving all the feelings down you know and and <laughs> feeling awful later um but the first round like i the biggest absolute hugest tip i can give everyone that ever wants to run a mega game is nail the rollout the first turn is the most important term in the game like some people will say the last no 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 first turn mm. everything needs to be set you need to do a dry run like you need to do so much prep Mm. And that was a mistake. I, I it, it was an amateur mistake for the very first run of Deep Haven. It had a pretty rough rollout. Mm. Uh, my moderators were great. I, you know, I, I, I've always had great moderators, but, um, you know, things, you know, th this, this little uh, packet of stuff needed to be over there and it's not, and people are looking for it. And I had to pass out this and I, I should have had somebody else do it. You know, all these like little things, they add up to where there's a lot of, you know, people waiting around or, or, you know, your moderators being kind of uh, unclear about what's happening or the player. So, and I, I'm sure anyone that's played mega games have kind of experienced some of those things. Um, 
but it's so important to just nail your role. Like, and, and, and I have to say, like, again, with, with my wife, like on the second run, like she helped me be so prepared. It was amazing. And things just went so much better with the rollout. Um, so, so yeah, to get back to the question, like my biggest failing was, uh, was that, but also like taking things so personally, um, Mm. you know, I, I, I get stressed out when that, when I feel like I could have done better or, you know, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm failing people. And when there's that many players all looking to you and and that many moderators, you know, looking at you like, Ooh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta learn. It's a skill that you gotta learn to just kind of let things go and try your best. And, you know, everyone's there to have fun. Like people aren't, Mm. you know, like I don't, I don't run it as a business. It's not a business for me. Like I, you know, people are there for fun. It's a hobby. Like don't take things so personally. And that was, honestly that's the biggest lesson like i you know i i obviously i learned books worth of of mechanical feedback and what worked and what didn't and stuff but that is the that was my biggest lesson (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it's really really good advice too i i i was lucky enough that when i first ran my i ran when i ran my first game ever the feedback was overwhelmingly amazing because everyone no one had dealt with this kind of thing before so yeah. everyone was just happy to be involved but it's really I'm, I'm pretty similar to you i think in that sense where i'm pretty critical on myself and when things start to fall apart it's easy to take it personally um but i think the best thing for designers and people wanting to run games to to know as well as well as that and to not take it personally is that i've never seen feedback for a game that i've run or a game that someone else has run that I've been to or just in general in the community where people have been like, well, that was a terrible mega game. I can't believe that person tried to run it. You know, what a terrible person. Like it's, right. it's never really, I've never seen that. Um, maybe it's out there. I hope I don't get to see it, but <laughs> yeah. I think you're right that everyone's there to have fun. And, yeah, um, totally. The, the players generally make the most of it and will help you along. So I think that's something good to have in the back of your mind while you're, while you're prioritizing you know, don't take it personally, be prepared. Um, so it doesn't push you over the ledge of, of, of the stress and everything. Yeah. And it, and it's a, you know, it's a balance too. It's like, it, it, you know, it's not getting people off the hook. Like you gotta be prepared. You gotta be ready. But ultimately, like if, if, you know, you've done your best to do that, like just, you know, chill, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't stress so much. It's yeah. hard. It's hard because you put it's so, so much of yourself into it, you know. Um, yeah. It's 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 easy to get wrapped up, and it's easy to focus a bit too much on that one bit of negative feedback out of the fifty people that came and or, or whatever it is. You know, it's it's yep. it's easy to get lost. Um, yep, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. um, okay, and so what's next for Deep Haven? Do you have any plans to maybe um, release the rules or run the game again at some point? Maybe you know, post COVID. Yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I I, ha- I owe it to Minnesotans to <laughs> to run it in my home state because <laughs> I haven't run it here yet. Um, so I'm definitely going to do that. It pro- I mean, realistically, 2022 or whenever all mm. this stuff calms down. Mm. Um, beyond that, yeah, I know. I I've said before, like I need to. I I really need to release uh, Deep Haven, uh, like get it out there so other people can can see it and play it. Like even if they don't run it, like being able to to see some of those ideas, I think would be helpful for the community. Um, I, I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things like I got to do it and (laughs) I haven't done it. And I, I apologize to all the, you know, I have gotten several emails like asking about it and I, I tend to ghost those people and I, I apologize, 
I'm bad at responding to those. <laughs> it will happen someday. Um, it's mostly just me, like, you know, having to put in the work to, to finalize it. Um, I do, I, it is a hard thing. It, it's a hard thing to hand off your, your baby to someone else. And, mm-hmm. um, it, and I, I, it's probably just an arrogance thing, but it, in some ways it feels like, is anyone going to be able to do it as good as me? Not, it, it, even though I don't, it, it's weird. Like I, I, I simultaneously think that, you know, I know it so well, but I also like, you know, I, I'm not that great at this either. So it's like these two competing ideas, uh, Mm. (laughs) which, you know, whatever. Um, So it's also like, I don't want someone to have a really bad experience with it and feel like, Oh, deep Haven, you know, that's what a mess of a, of a mega game. Um, So it's, it's hard. I don't know. I need to get over it. I I acknowledge that I need to, I need to get over it. It's a hard thing to do. I I think I'm, I'm very similar and I, I, it kind of sounds like a lot of people are, it's hard to be when you're working on something like this that you're going to spend a very long time on. I usually say six months, but realistically, it's often longer. Mm. You you do want it to be perfect, and it's never going to be because that's the nature of mega games. At least the you know the first time you run it, and it is hard to like like for me. It sounds like Trenton, you've got a bit more background in game design than I do, but I've got some serious imposter syndrome where. I don't want to release <laughs> yeah. my goods because I feel like a fraud and I feel mm-hmm. like I shouldn't be able to create mega games. So I don't right. want people to see, you know, um, how, how foolish I've been, yeah. but um, it, it's a hard thing to get, to get over to, to hand off something that you put so much time into and just hope it goes well on the other side of the planet. Totally. Totally. And like, yeah. and, and to also like see other people and like, you know, you know, they're judging, you you know, they're, you know, <laughs> you know, they're judging like, you know, this mechanic or this idea, you know, it's like, I'm going to do it differently. Like, God, I don't know how, how does Jim Wallman feel? I, you know, oh I, I've yet to really oh, yeah. have a conversation really. with him. Like, how does he feel about all of these watch disguise? Like everyone shits on watch the skies, you know? And it's it like, <laughs> and, and it's like, Oh, I'm going to redo this. I'm going to do that. And it's like, you wonder why a lot of these watch the skies games don't go that great is because people change all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I like. I know he said. Uh, I love the the quote of him. Uh, it you know saying like he he knows that I think he calls it rough and ready or rough. Mm-hmm. I don't know some some UK term. Um, you know, <laughs> saying that you know he knows he knows the original like it wasn't meant to be this big phenomenon. He didn't he didn't know that when he was making yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's um, it's understandable. It's hard. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but on the other side, on the other side of things, I think that's one of the greatest compliments you can get personally. Like um it's like how, you know, every a lot of people talk about oh, D&D doesn't do this well, doesn't do this well, we want to change this and all that kind of thing obviously, which is good and fair, but it's also I think a great compliment to the original design of D&D that so many people were inspired by that to go off and make their own thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And 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 you know, when I've had a few drinks in me, I, I often compare D&D to Watch the Skies and vice versa <laughs> for various <laughs> reasons that I won't go into. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a good analogy in a lot of ways. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I love you, Jim Wallman. I look up to you. You're amazing. <laughs> Same. Yes. Same. We've I, been very clear on this podcast in the past yeah. that we are not we are not shitting on Jim or <laughs> yeah. Watch the Skies. Yeah. We love I, it. Yeah, I think Definitely. he he's smart enough. He can he can take it. Oh, he, he, he can take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. Uh, hey, before we before we wrap up, uh, do you guys have like podcasts like nicknames yet? No, what, no, not for us individually. <laughs> so so 
when I when I was learning your guys' names and, and like it helps to always you know have some little thing that helps you remember. Uh, I I think you guys are click and clack. Because <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> Patrick and Jack, clack. Patrick oh, and Jack, God. click and clack. <laughs> Bam. Is that the each intro of the podcast will be like, <laughs> hey, coming to you live on the airwaves. This is Click and Clack, click Patrick and, and Jack. Jack. <laughs> right, yep, we'll have to just go. do on that and then um, possibly edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> so that no one calls us Click and Clack ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, so, uh, Trenton, um, where um, can people find you if you want them to find you? <laughs> that, that's a good question. Uh, you can you can email me. It's it's Trenton Gray Oak at Gmail. Um, I am sometimes active on the the Mega Game Coalition uh, Discord channel. Um, not so much as much this year, but you know, I, I if you ping me, I, I can I'll talk to you on on Discord. Uh, Mega Game Coalition, which is like a U.S. like coalition of Mega Game groups. Um, if you're in the U.S., definitely check us out. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Trent. This was an yeah. Awesome this discussion. was this was great. It's a great podcast. I oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, Deep Haven has so many uh, so many ideas going off in it. It's it's it was awesome to talk about it. Yeah, I could talk so much more too. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, chat to you again another time. Yeah, yeah, cheers, I think is what you say. Cheers. so much for listening um you can find uh more info about us at our facebook page the great game podcast which is at the great game pod uh and also by joining our uh, discord um which you can find uh linked in that page thanks again um to everyone who's listened along throughout the first season if you'd like to get in touch um with me you can find me over at the sydney mega gamers and yeah you can find me at uh, jack at ashtowngames.com Awesome. And uh, hopefully we will see you all next year.